0: Well, today we are finishing up this teaching series called Being the People of God, where we have tried to realign ourselves and recenter ourselves in our true and ultimate identity as God's children, as God's people. Uh, and we've suggested throughout that we should orient our lives on the basis of this identity. Uh, And so through that we've talked about the significance, the superiority, the ultimacy of Christ. We've talked about uh, the importance of gathering together, whether virtually or in person. Uh, The importance of sharing life together outside our gatherings. Uh, We've talked about the significance of mission, being sent uh, from where we are and engaging in that way. We've talked about being a people of prayer. We've talked about being a people who are... um, formed around this book that the, the Bible is authoritative in our lives and uh, reaffirms and cements us in our identity. And so what we want to do today as we sort of close this all up is give a descriptor of what it means to be the people of God. That is a, a telltale sign of people who are living into this identity. And that is the issue of Generosity. The people of God are by nature a generous people. And really, this sermon could be done in one minute. Uh, maybe you'd prefer that, but that's not the option I've chosen for you this morning. And that is, well, why are we generous? Uh, because our God is a generous God. And therefore, we are called to be a generous people. God is generous with His love, and He is by His nature Gracious. And therefore, how, what other could His people be than generous people? It's really easy for us to take this issue of generosity and significantly compartmentalize it as simple actions that check off boxes. But that is not at all the biblical concept of generosity. Because when the Bible talks about the fruit that comes from the life given to God through Christ, it always speaks of it in a holistic sense. And so that is not compartmentalized boxes you check off, but very much speaks to the whole essence of how you live your life. And so to get at this idea of generosity in that holistic sense, we're going to look at Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor at the church at Ephesus, a protege of Paul. And Paul was writing to him to... Firm up his ministry and to remind him significant things. And right at the end of his letter, first Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen, is where we'll be this morning. He reminds him of this core essence of generosity. So first Timothy six, seventeen, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world. So let's pause right there because many of us will be like, okay, tune out. I'm not rich. (laughs) And of course, that is just not true. Richness, in the sense of biblical terms, has nothing to do with being in the top 1% of society financially. Richness has everything to do with having any form of excess. And so we all fit into that category at different levels. In fact, when Paul was talking about generosity in a financial sense, he referenced the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And the Macedonians were poor. Uh, They were not financially wealthy, and yet he called them generous because they gave out of their excess. Now he was speaking specifically financially, but it applies in all uh, aspects of this idea of generosity. That from the excess we give and we all have excess. So when we speak about rich, we are not making socioeconomic classifications, even though those are realities in our world and we're realities at the church at Ephesus. But he's talking about perceiving yourself, right? And so many of us look at ourselves with what we would call a scarcity mindset, whereas the Bible would teach us to look at ourselves as abundantly rich doesn't mean we have bank accounts that are going to see us through everything and anything. But it's a way we view ourselves. And it comes from God who blesses us richly. So we're meant to see ourselves as rich. And that is meant to give us a disposition towards generosity. Now listen to me. I need to say this at the beginning. I'll try to remember to say it throughout and at the end, though I may forget. And that is, I'm not calling you, nor does the Scriptures call you in any sense to a cavalier reality of generosity that doesn't attempt to account for the needs of your life. Or in other words, uh, the opposite of generosity is not planning for your retirement, right? All of those things are wise and good. We're talking about holistically how we look at our lives, Uh, Do we do it from a sense of richness that we can be a blessing to others? Or do we do it from a sense of scarcity that I need everything I have, otherwise I'm in trouble? And this is what we're getting at here, and it's a deeply gospel-centered conversation. So to the rich, which is everyone, uh, especially those who have lots of bounty, command those who are rich in this present world not to be Arrogant, or a better translation is conceited. Uh, the literal Greek verb or Greek uh, word there is high-minded. Right? Uh, not to put their hope in their wealth or their riches, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Verse 19, in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So he's getting out there at the very end that there's this sense of life, but then there's life that is truly life. And that's the John 10 life that Jesus talked about. Life to the fullest. The abundant life. It's something that we by faith actually have to take hold of. It doesn't just pop into place. We have to live according to this Gospel-centered, kingdom-viewed world of richness versus scarcity. And by faith, we tap into this. So, let's get back to to the core issues here. Generosity. I think Paul here does a really good job of showing us that there are two approaches to life. There's the generous approach to life, but then there is also the conceited approach to life. Generosity or conceit. Now we wouldn't often say that the opposite of generous is conceited, and yet we can see it if we really play it out. This high-minded view of self. Let me use different words to perhaps give us a clearer understanding. That is, two ways of life, two dispositions toward life. One would be entitlement. I'm entitled to what I have, for whatever reason. You worked hard for it, you inherited, whatever. I'm entitled to it, it's mine. Or, I've been entrusted with what I have two very different perspectives on life that seem semantical and yet are very different. One is conceit, entitlement. One is generosity, entrusted. This actually isn't mine. Not just my wealth, but my personality, my time, my schedule, my talents, my abilities, my vocation. All of these things are places in which I can either be high-minded, entitled, Or I can be generous. I've been entrusted by God. And right from the beginning God says, I bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. This is the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis 12 and repeated uh, in the chapters thereafter. There's two different ways to look at life. And again, these are holistic. They're not compartmentalized. It seems like he's definitely talking about finances here. But he's also talking about life in general. So let's think about this. We can be conceited or we can be generous in any aspect of life. Not just our money. Let's think about it in terms of massive current events. And my intention here is not to poke anyone in the eye. Uh, I'm trusting if that happens, the Spirit is doing something and I haven't been mean-spirited. That's not my intention. Uh, But I'm just trying to process this through what's going on in our world. So we just had massive political election. Uh, The vote showed that our country is near evenly divided on both sides. And there's lots of vitriol from both sides going back and forth. The point of this illustration is not to tell you which side you should be on. We've had that conversation before. Uh, There's good reasons to be Supporters of both political parties. And there's also good reasons to not be supporters of both political parties. We're in a difficult spot as Christians. My issue is, what is your capacity for empathy towards people of different perspectives? You see this? What is your capacity to view the world from the shoes of someone very different than you, who has had very different life experiences and therefore has led them to very different conclusions or even applications of the Gospel on their life. See, generosity is not just a financial thing. It also comes in how we relate to each other in that way. And I would suggest to you that the large share of folks out there lack generosity in their political discourse. (laughs) Why? Because they're high-minded. Because there's a sense in which this defines them and anything that shakes that is at the core of who they are and they can't lose that. Or else something major is going to tumble. Alright, if I haven't offended anyone yet, let's go into the other massive issue. And that's the pandemic. And how are we supposed to respond to it? And you all are graciously wearing masks right now because the the state government has asked us to do that, because the school has asked us to do that here, and because as a church, we've thought that that's the best thing we can do to include the most people possible. But the issue of wearing a mask is deeply challenging to lots of people. I've heard it from you, and we've had good and meaningful conversations. To some people, it perfectly makes sense. To other people, it seems like an infringement on their rights. And I wonder if this issue of generosity is another way of looking at this. If actually there is a sense in which we can be generous with our American rights. Now I'm dipping into sensitive areas. And so again, I'm not trying to poke at anyone. I'm just asking the question. Somehow what has happened in 2020 is it has exposed deeply within our culture and within me personally, just to be honest with you, because I'm going to try to be as vulnerable as I can throughout this, this sermon, has exposed within us the things that we are holding tightly to because we have found our identity in them. And they are being shaken and it is making us less and less generous because we feel like if we lose any of it, our whole world is going to come crashing down. Again, none of that is meant to convince you of one political view or the other, or one view on mass or the other. It's just a way of framing it. If God calls us to be generous people, then how does this apply to all aspects of life? Or let me give you one other thing. Some of you uh, will be with extended family over Thanksgiving, and that will be deeply challenging for any number of reasons. Political reasons, COVID reasons, lots of hurt in your past with family issues. And so what does it mean to be generous in those ways? You see how generosity creeps into every aspect of who we are? Paul says just two ways, two ways to view the world, two dispositions to have. Conceit, high-minded reality that is me, self-serving, that leads to hoarding, right? Not just toilet paper, but like the stuff that we find as significant to ourselves. Or there's this entrusted view that God has blessed us and we will be open handed and be generous towards others. Maybe a narrative way is the best way to explain this. After all, Jesus did it that way when He talked about issues of generosity. Remember in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus told the parable of uh, what Bible titlers have called the rich fool? <laughs> Jesus tells this parable. He says, this, There's this guy who had this great harvest. He had a great year, right? Lots of stuff coming in. It wasn't 2020, right? It was 2019 or whatever. Lots of great stuff coming in. And he realized quickly, Hey, I don't have the capacity to store all of this, lest it go to waste. So he designed plans to tear down all of his silos and barns and structures and to build bigger, newer ones that could hold all of his stuff. God looked down and said, you fool, tonight your spirit is required of you. That is that his earthly life was coming to an end that he was hoarding for a life that was temporary instead of building into a foundation that was eternal. There was conceit that had driven him. And I think it's instructive for us in the midst of that parable to think like the disciples would have thought. Because they were Jewish people. Uh, And while they might not have been the best scholars of the day, they knew the stories of their faith. And one of the paramount stories of their faith was of a man named Joseph. Do you remember this story? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He wasn't exactly the easiest brother to live with, but that's a sermon for another day. Uh, no matter what, brothers, I'm looking at you, Jack and Ty, right now, no matter how hard it is to live with each other, neither of you should sell the other one into slavery. Deal? We good with that? It's Parenting 101, right? We're go Joseph was sold into slavery. Uh, what, God, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. Right? We know this language that Joseph uses. He rises to positions of power in Egypt. He sees that a famine is coming. And what does he do? He builds silos and towers and sheds and barns to store up all of these things. Why? For himself? No. So that Egypt can be a blessing to the nations. And actually, Israel is preserved because of the silos of Joseph who was an exiled slave in Egypt. His brothers, who in some sense should have been his enemies, were now the recipients of his radical generosity. When Jesus tells this parable, he's not telling it in a vacuum. There's a story in the history of God's people that defined them that is the ultimate story. Who will we be is the story that Jesus is asking. And it's the question that I'm asking us and I'm asking myself. And the issue is we are prone towards generosity or prone towards conceit, lack of generosity, self-centeredness, hoarding, because of something much deeper within us. There's something significant going on at our soul level. We even see this in the parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12 because it says the man said to his soul now I'll be fine I can eat, drink, and be merry right? He's speaking something deep to his soul that is he's placing his security, his significance in his accumulation of stuff. This conceit doesn't just show up right? It doesn't just pop up Out of nowhere, just like generosity doesn't pop up out of nowhere, it comes out of a soul that has answered important questions in a certain way. I've suggested to you before that there are three uh, questions that our soul wrestles with deeply, and perhaps this is uh, overly simplistic, but it's helpful for me. That is, am I accepted? Am I significant? And am I secure? And we go through our whole life trying to answer those questions at a deep soul level. And it leads to how we orient our lives. And Paul understood this too. Do you remember what he said here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to this young pastor? He said, I tell those who are rich not to be conceited but to be generous. But then he goes to this deeper issue of the soul. And Paul uses the biblical word hope. That's a significant word for us and for me because it's the name of our church. It's the name of our church on purpose because it's a soul issue at its core. That is Paul is suggesting what leads to conceit or to generosity is where we place our hope. So he says don't put your hope in uncertain things, but put your hope in God who richly blesses you. Two very different foundations that lead to two very different ways to orient your life. Let's start with this issue of hope. Now, in our vernacular, in modern uh, America or in the West, this idea of hope is kind of flimsy, right? It's kind of of impotent. (laughs) Uh, It's wishy-washy, right? In other words, the Eagles play today, and I'm hoping they're going to win, right? But chances are it's not going to go that way, you know, because history has told me in this season, uh, don't count on it. So we kind of hope, we kind of toss up these Hail Mary realities like, oh, I hope so, I hope so. That's not the biblical concept of hope. The biblical concept of hope is very certain even though it hasn't tasted it fully yet. It's a steadfast waiting that is certain about that which is coming in its ultimacy. And Paul says that That issue of the soul is what leads us to dispose our life in certain ways. So just don't hope in uncertain things because they're uncertain. Sometimes the barns are full and sometimes the barns aren't full. Sometimes it's 2019 and sometimes it's 2020, right? Sometimes there's Republican presidents and sometimes there's Democrat presidents. Sometimes you don't have to wear a mask and sometimes you do have to wear a mask. If you're placing your hope, your confidence in these things, they are at their core uncertain and therefore there is no stable foundation for which you you are to be able to build a life upon. Jesus said this too, right? Those who build their life on sandy things, when any storm comes, it crashes completely to the ground. But those who build their life on the rock, that is Christ, the Gospel, that can weather a storm? How can that be? Because it's a very different answer to the question of hope. When you place your hope in uncertain things like wealth, like political ideology, um, even things that we've come to value deeply in this country like the American dream or education or uh, other realities like that, I'm not saying any of these things are bad. They're just not ultimate. When you place your hope in them, they're uncertain. And because they're uncertain, you never have those questions of your soul completely answered. And therefore, you hoard because there's a sense in which they could go. Right? You hoard your time because it could run out. You hoard your money because it could run out. You hoard your resources because they could run out. You hoard your giftedness because you might need to use it on something else. It's a high-minded, a conceited, a self-serving orientation of life because you've misplaced your hope. Do you see it? And the biblical concept of hope is deeply related to the biblical concept of faith or trust. And both faith, excuse me, both faith, trust, and hope are deeply rooted to the biblical concept of hope. Love. Remember Paul says to the Corinthians, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Why? Because what you hope in, you're trusting in. There you're placing your faith in it. And you almost always are placing your faith in and hoping in the thing that you love the most. Right? And oftentimes we love really good things. We just shouldn't be putting our hope in them. So Paul says the greatest of these is love because it finds those. It shows us those issues. Don't put your hope in uncertain things, but put your hope in God who richly blesses you. What does it mean to put your hope in God? It is not a kind of esoteric, out there, intangible reality. Well, I just hope in God, right? And we don't even know what we mean by that. We're talking about do you have a solid sense of who God actually is? or is that question unresolved in your heart? And for all of us at some level, just listen to me, that question is unresolved in our heart. We've got long-lasting, lingering questions about if God actually is who he says he is. Otherwise, we would never hope in anything else other than God, right? We just wouldn't, but we do all the time, unless you're very different than me, and I'll allow for that. You might be quite different than me, but I find myself all the time hoping in other things. Uh, The great pastor and writer A.W. Tozer said it like this, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I happen to agree. Because your concept, your picture, your understanding of God determines how you will orient your whole life. It is that we are calling to not put our hope in an esoteric idea of God, but in the very character of who God is. So for some of us, when we think about God, we think about a God who is maybe not happy with us. And we're on thin ice with Him because we haven't lived the perfect life. And that's our concept of God. And so we're orienting ourselves around that. Can you trust that kind of God? Probably not. Because it's dependent upon your actions. But that's not who God is at all. That's not the God I read about in the scriptures. One author has summarized the character of God in these four statements that start with G, and I think it's incredibly helpful. His name is Tim Chester. He's written a book called You Can Change, which is profoundly uh, significant about changing um, on the basis of the gospel in your, in your life. Really good stuff. He gets to the character of God or this idea of God who richly blesses us in these four statements. It's profound. He says God is great, God is good, God is gracious, and God is glorious. God is great, God is good, God is gracious, God is glorious. And on the basis of those four things, we no longer have to be afraid of anybody. We no longer have to prove ourselves. We no longer have to look anywhere else. Paul's saying, at the deep level of your soul, find the answers to the questions of significance, security, and acceptance in the character of God. So, if you're anything like me, the natural question that pops up into your head is, okay, great, but how? (laughs) Right? I get the Sunday school answers. Well, God's great, God's glorious, yeah, 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 all that stuff. But how do I really know that? There's only one way you can know that. I can't force it on you. I can't convince convince you of it apologetically. There's only one way you can know that those statements about God are in fact true. And it's the Gospel. God proves His greatness, His goodness, His gloriousness, and His graciousness in the person and work of Jesus. And if you have tasted that Gospel, then you know in your heart even as uncertain as it might feel at times, that God is who He says He is. And His character is defined in those things. And that the answers that your soul has longed for are truly found in it. You want to be generous? Yes, yeah, certainly we should be generous because God says so, right? There's a sermon that can be preached that way. I just find it incredibly unhelpful you want to be generous, you've got to ask your heart really hard and deep questions. Ask your soul these questions. What am I actually hoping in? What am I actually trusting in? What do I actually love? And then as you're honest with those questions, you ask yourself the question that Tozer asks asks us. What comes to mind? When you think about God. Here's what I believe. <clears throat> uh, we have a saying here at Hope. It says behavior, identity, or, excuse me, belief, identity, behavior, in that order. Right? This is how we orient our lives. We believe, we identify, we behave. Religion says, just change your behavior, change it all, change it all, and God will be happy with you. For any of you who've tried religion, you realize it doesn't work, right? Because you can't cut off an apple from a tree and then make that tree try really hard to produce an orange. It just doesn't work, right? Because they haven't dealt with the deeper issues. That is, we behave a certain way because we have a certain identity. And we have a certain identity because we have a certain belief system. So think about it like a tree for a minute because maybe this is helpful. That is our behavior is the fruit of the tree. The identity is the structure of the tree and the beliefs are the roots of the trees. And so if we're asking questions about generosity, which is a behavior question, then we need to be asking questions about our identity, which is the questions Paul is asking us to ask, right? What are you hoping in? What are you actually trusting in? What are you loving? Which then lead us to the issues of belief. Belief. What actually comes to mind when I think about God? What do I actually believe about Him? Not in a doctrinal way, but in an actual faith way. I'm basing my life on these things. Unless and until we get to those deep issues of the heart and the soul, we cannot simply add generosity to ourselves. Because generosity is an identity issue. We become generous because we come to believe We actually are the people of God, not because we try to be the people of God. So I often will say to you, and many of you will say to me, yeah, yeah, but how do I do this? How do I do this? So I wanted to take some time and just try to walk through this process with you right now. I always say, hey, the key to the Christian life is applying the gospel to every aspect of life. You've heard me say that, right? You've all heard me say that a million times. And all of you said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's so esoteric. I don't know how to do it. Someone tell me how to do it. Adam talks about gospel all the time. So let's talk about this in in the issue of generosity. How do we apply the gospel to ourselves with this issue of generosity or conceit? Um, And my guess is we all need to do this a lot, but this will also give you a paradigm for how to do this in other areas of your life with other realities. How do we do this? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says that our only acceptable act of worship in response to the Gospel is to give our lives as a living and holy sacrifice. Remember this language Paul uses in Romans 12 too? Lay down your life to God. And He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the process right there for how we apply the Gospel to our lives in order to see meaningful change in ourselves. It is resisting conformity and pursuing transformation. All through taking the Gospel and applying it to ourselves. So let's walk through this. We'll try to walk through it generically and I'm going to try to be vulnerable and personal with you in a journey I've been going through over the last two months of exploring what's going on in my own soul. This issue of generosity. So we experience or we observe or someone kindly and gently says to us, hey, you're lacking generosity in your life. Or you're hoarding. Or you're very controlling over these things. Or you struggle with this issue of conceit in some way, right? All of us can relate to that in some way. The first thing that we do is not to say, oh, I've got to do better. (laughs) That's a path to destruction. First thing we do is stop and ask the questions of the heart and the soul. Why? Why, why am I disposed this way? Why did I respond to that situation in that way? Why did, I, why did I struggle to be generous with my conservative friend? Why did I struggle to be generous with my liberal friend? Why did I struggle to be generous? With the issue of mass? Why did I struggle to be generous with my financial resources? Why did I struggle to be generous with my time? So on and so forth. Why? And then we begin to ask the identity questions. What am I actually trusting in my life? These are hard questions, and you've got to wrestle with them. What am I actually placing my faith in? What am I hoping in? What am I loving? And that leads us then to the ultimate questions of belief. let say, if I'm, trust, if I'm acting in this way, in a non-generous way, I had a, a mentor who once said to me, bad fruit doesn't grow in a vacuum, right? It comes from somewhere, as we're talking about this whole time. If I'm lacking generosity in this area, and I'm discovering that it's because I'm trusting and hoping in uncertain things, right? Then what do I actually believe about God that leads me to trust those things? And you should be honest, right? It's a scary thing. Be honest. And there it's at that core issue of belief where we can begin to apply the gospel. Well, is God great? Is He good? Is He gracious? Is He glorious? Or however you term those things. The only way we can come to say yes is by speaking the Gospel to ourselves continually in those moments of depth about belief. And that's where transformation happens. And that's where we begin to have an identity where the issues of our soul begin to be dealt with in a more satisfying way. Accepted by God. Significant because God says, so secure because I'm in the palm of his hand. And it leads us to different kinds of behaviors, a little bit more openness, because I don't have to hoard. If I'm dependent upon the richness of God's blessing, not upon what I can accumulate for myself, it leads to a very different way of being able to orient yourself. But on the basis of what Paul has said here and what Jesus says consistently throughout his ministry, that life is, abundant life is found in living His way, then we need to, by faith, on the basis of what we are reminding ourselves of, correct belief and identity, on the basis of faith, we actually have to take hold of that which is life indeed. Right? That means it doesn't just poop pop up from out of nowhere and all of a sudden everything is happy and jolly again. We actually have to volitionally choose to orient our life in a different way as challenging as it might be in the moment on the basis of what we have reminded ourselves God actually is. And then guess what? You're probably going to have to do it ten more times that day. And another ten times tomorrow. And consistently because this is the long-term process of gospel transformation but if you plug yourself into it what you will find out is it actually does transform you the gospel has that power this is how we're supposed to cooperate with the spirit in our transformation maybe personal and vulnerable with you for a minute over the last couple of months i found myself lashing out usually at my family because, unfortunately, it's easy targets. We're with each other all the time. At, the, at the, the, the lowest moment of it, my son Tyler and I found ourselves in an intense argument over who should have been the correct winner of um, the ne- America's Next Great Chef or whatever that show is with Gordon Ramsay. I mean, it was an intense all-out. I mean, we're super competitive, both of us, but like, it was ugly, right? And not ugly because of him, ugly because of me. I was completely lacking generous generosity towards him. Generosity for his opinion. Generosity for his perspective. And what was really going on in my heart is not that I really cared whether Whitney should have won America's Next Top Chef or not, though I was in her corner, right? And she won, by the way, right? So <laughs> here I'm lacking generosity again. Right? More. The issue wasn't that. The issue was my lack of generosity was actually an experience of impatience in my heart. That I had grown so impatient in life. Impatient because of COVID. Impatient because of the turmoil in our world. Impatient with having to preach to a camera on Sundays. Impatient with our whole church not being able to be together. Impatient with not knowing how to care for people that my heart was going in all these horrible ways. And and it wasn't until I stopped to ask myself the deep questions and I had to say, okay, Adam, so if this is your experience, like bad fruit doesn't grow in a vacuum. You're like yelling at your son because of his choice for America's next top chef, right? This is bad fruit. It doesn't grow in a vacuum. And I have to ask myself some serious questions. What's actually going on in your soul and your heart? What are you actually trusting? Where is your hope? And my, my issues had nothing to do with that TV show. It actually had nothing to do with my son, who I loved greatly even in that moment. It had everything to do that I was trusting in my vocation. I was trusting in my performance. I was trusting in my ability as a pastor. And all of those things were shaken, and I couldn't hoard them anymore. And they seemed like they were going away. And it was leading to all of these. Things. And then I had to stop and ask deeper questions. Okay, if you're trusting in yourself and you're a pastor, what's that actually mean you actually believe about God? And I believe all the right doctrinal like, denominationally, I believe all the right <laughs> doctrinal things, right? But in the core, in my actual orientation of life, what did I actually believe about God? I wasn't believing that he was good. I wasn't believing that He was great. I wasn't believing that He was glorious. I certainly wasn't believing that He was gracious. And I just to soak in the Gospel and remind myself that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was His enemy, Diametrically opposed to him, living a life in opposition to God. God loved me so intently that he found me in the most unlikely of places, a secular rock concert in Hershey, Pennsylvania, not in a church somewhere, and changed my whole life. That Jesus, though he could have gripped equality with God as his right, laid it down because he loved and trusted and hoped in the right things and it opened up the kingdom of God even to someone like me. And in tears in a darkened bedroom I remembered the gospel. And my heart swelled God is great and God is good And God is glorious and God is gracious. And therefore, I don't have to look anywhere else. And those issues, if only for a time, were once again settled in my soul. I could come to my wife and to my son and apologize and be honest about what was going on in my soul. And by faith, choose a different way. Gospel transformation is the consistent application of repentance and re-belief. I repent for believing the wrong things and I re-believe the right things. I know I'm going to need to keep doing it again and again in this already not yet experience of a broken life. But Jesus has given us an entrance into the abundance of life. And believe it or not, hoarding and wealth for the sake of wealth never lead to abundance. But a belief in a God who richly blesses and an identity built thereupon that leads to an open-handed disposition of life, not unwise, not cavalier, but open-handed, actually is the experience of abundant life. Not if you add it without the Gospel, but when you take that journey through repentance and belief of the Gospel. From bad fruit to good fruit. Paul says the people of God are a generous people. My experience with myself would lead me to a different conclusion. And yet, Jesus is transforming us. And we can join in that experience. Imagine if Hope Alliance Church, imagine if the church of Jesus Christ universally was known as radically generous. How that would turn this world upside down for the kingdom of God. There is only one way to pursue this kind of abundant life. It's through the transforming power of the gospel. God's people are generous people. And you are one of them. Can I pray with you?